Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's been a pretty good week, all things considered. We had a 4-1 win over Crystal Palace, of course. We dealt with that in the Arscast Extra on Monday, but there's no harm in reminding ourselves of winning 4-1. It has happened so rarely this season. We might as well drag it out, make the most of it, take all the enjoyment from it that we can. But on top of that, since then, we've reached a cup final, the Carabao Cup final. We will play Manchester City at Wembley on February 25th, having beaten Chelsea 2-1 at the Emirates the other night. And I know people talk about the League Cup, the EFL Cup, the Coca-Cola Cup, the Littlewoods Cup, the Rumbelows Cup, the Mill Cup, the now Carabao Cup. And they, I suppose, rightly point out that it is of the four trophies you get to play for in a season the least prestigious. There's no arguing with that, none whatsoever. Nevertheless, when you get to a semi-final, you want to win the semi-final. And uh, when you get to a final, you want to win the final. Let's say we do. Let's just put it out there. Let's say we win this final against Manchester City at Wembley at Tottenham's temporary but still home ground if we win that final there at Tottenham's home ground which is I know temporary but it is still their home ground there will be people who'll say yeah it's only the uh, Carabao EFL Coca-Cola Rumbelow's Milk Cup thing who cares nobody cares about that trophy nobody cares if we win it It's meaningless. Why can't we compete in the Premier League? Why can't we compete in the Champions League? What's the point of all this? And look, those are perfectly valid points of view and perfectly valid questions, but they don't have anything to do with the final of the EFL, Littlewoods, Milk, Coca-Cola, Rumbelows, Carabao Cup. They don't. Because you know what? And don't tell anyone this because it's a secret, but they're like totally separate things. I know. It's crazy. Hard to get your head around, isn't it? It's like this thing can exist over here and be independent from these things which are over here. And you can be worried about the things over here, but still enjoy the the thing over here, right? You don't have to choose between one or the other. You can enjoy your club and your team potentially winning a trophy at uh, Tottenham's home ground and still harbour concerns about the general direction and our competitiveness in uh, in the Premier League, right? So while I'd never tell anybody what they should think or how they should think, don't deny yourself the possibility of being happy over your club winning a trophy because it's not the trophy that you want. You can still want the Premier League. Remember, Premier League's over here. And the EFL, Rumbelow's Littlewood, Carabao, Coca-Cola Cup is over. It's over here. I've got a very creaky chair. I should tighten it up, find an Allen key, do what I need to do in that regard. 
But that's where we are. That's the week that we've had in terms of of, uh, reaching that final. We'll get there, and we'll talk a bit more about that game uh, in a few minutes' time. A couple of things. I've got a very sore head while I'm recording this. I went to the uh, had to go to a dermatologist today. I may or may not have mentioned in the past on the podcast. I had to get some things frozen off my my forehead, sun damage. I think they call them. I don't know what they call them. Pre cancers, anyway. That's what she said. And one of them just didn't go away, so I had to go back today. And in the previous appointment that I had, she froze these things off like a canister of whatever it is, freezy shit. I think it's called. That's the technical name for it. And she did the, you know, freezy shit, and all the things went away, apart from one which didn't go away. And she she did it again today, and honestly, she froze the fucking shite out of it. There's, like, no danger of this thing coming back unless it's something really bad. She didn't just give it a perfunctory pshht. She was like Like she was trying to put out a fucking fire or something on my forehead with freezy shit. So as we're recording, I've got like this real stingy bit, which is developing into, I'm sure, what's going to be a a lovely blister. There's an image for you all. But I think my point is, you know, if you've got something like that, go get it checked. Get all your bits checked. It's uh, probably a good idea. I want to talk a little now, though, about Mohammed El-Neni. Now, I know we live in an era where people read an awful lot of stuff into what happens on social media and online, like... Back in 2016, before he became an Arsenal player this week, Henrik Mkhitaryan's sister, she connected with somebody related to the club on LinkedIn or something like that, and everyone went, oh my goodness, Mkhitaryan's sister is now following the deputy transport coordinator on LinkedIn. The transfer must be happening any second now. This is what we read into things on social media. Now, uh, when Kieran Gibbs left the club, and when Theo Walcott left the club quite recently, there was, it would be fair to say, something akin to an outpouring of goodwill and good luck messages from the other Arsenal players. Not all of them, but like a substantial amount had something to say on their Twitter or their Instagram and what have you. And it was quite telling this week when Alexis left that there wasn't really that kind of a thing going on with him. Um, I think maybe one player or two players said something. Mustafi said something. It's like, oh, come on, Mustafi, read the room here, goddammit. But there wasn't the same kind of reaction. Then, yesterday, today as I'm recording this, uh, we have Mohamed Elneny posting on his Twitter account a picture from the uh, Carabao Cup semi-final second leg. I think it's after the Granite Xhaka goal. They're all celebrating, and uh, Jack Wilshere's going, come on! And my, uh, Elneny's there jumping on the top of them, and his caption on Twitter is, now there are players fighting every minute for the logo and the fans, and he's got like the strong arm Popeye, yes, we're all very strong uh, uh, emoji going on there. Many people, of course, have taken this to be a kind of slight at Alexis Sanchez. Now we've got everyone fighting for the shirt, basically, is what he's saying. Now we have it. We didn't have it before, but now we do. And for those of you, you know, thinking, well, maybe it's just a quirk of the English language as his second language is not quite getting it right. Let's remember uh, back a little while ago when Elneny posted another tweet on Twitter, as you do, because that's where you post tweets. Uh, I think it was back in uh, December. 
and he posted a picture of him hanging out of a golf cart kind of thing at the training ground, big smile on his face. Who will come with me to Russia, he says, with big smiley emojis. And he tags in Mesut Ozil, Mustafi, Olivier Giroud, Lacazette, Koscielny, Hector Bellerin, Nacho Monreal, David Ospina, all players, of course, who are going to the World Cup. So underneath that then is, sorry, my friend Sanchez, there is no place for you. And he tags in then Alexis Sanchez at the end, sticking the knife in because Chile didn't qualify. Is Mohamed Elneny just a guy who doesn't have any limits when it comes to his banter? Is there no line he will not cross in order to wind up a teammate? Perhaps that's all it is. But maybe, maybe he just didn't like Alexis Sanchez. We know that there were players inside that Arsenal dressing room who didn't really take to his his antics and his behavior and his personality, which is fine. You know, that's what happens in football teams and dressing rooms. And I don't mean to rewrite history or anything like that because, you know, Alexis was a really great player for us. But it's funny, isn't it? If this is Elneny sticking the knife into a former teammate and even sticking the knife into him while he was a teammate, I say fair play. Some people might say, no, that's not the way you should do it. But come on, how often do we talk about footballers being boring these days with their stage-managed, media-trained interviews in which they say nothing of any consequence, even in circumstances where they could talk about really interesting things and say really interesting things. They're on message. They tow the party line. They don't display any real personality. It's all so very, very bland ever so bland, as one of our players might say. But this, I like it. I like it. I'm expecting if Sanchez, for example, misses a penalty for Manchester United at any stage, Elneny is just going to post 280 characters of the crying, laughing emoji. And I, for one, applaud him in his endeavours and his attitude towards Alexis Sanchez. Because, hey, why the fuck not? Why not? Right, time to get on with all the other bits and pieces of the week. The uh, the football, of course, which saw us through to the final of the Carabao Cup. We've had transfers. We've had not transfers. Transfers were waiting to happen and hoping will happen. And more besides. And with me to discuss all that. First up, we've got James from We Are The North Bank. Hi, James. Good evening. How are you? I'm all right. And we have got uh, the one and only Gunnar Hollick. Hello to you, sir. Hello, Blogs. Thanks very much for inviting me again. My pleasure. I'm going to start with you, Dave, because we are into the final of the League Cup. I know it's a competition which uh, has uh, mixed memories for you, some uh, very early <laughs> scarring in your in your Arsenal supporting career. You're uh, not wrong. Yeah, back in uh, 1969, was that right, the, the Swindon um, final? Yeah, 68 leads the year before that as well. Too soon. Sorry, I shouldn't bring these things up, uh, you know, give you a bit of time to process. But um, we have reached this season's final with a 2-1 win over Chelsea. And I don't know, I mean, there's just something good about reaching a cup final. Uh, There's something good about reaching a cup final and there's something good about beating Chelsea to do it. Yeah. Uh, It just absolutely, I I, I must admit last night, I really wish that I'd gone in the end. Uh, but there was a little chance of that. I've got no holiday left at the moment. So, But no, I thought it was a really first-class performance, particularly in the second half, and particularly because we had to recover from a goal down. And let's face it, that first 10 minutes, we were dreadful, weren't we? Mm, yeah, a bit all over the place. And whether that had something to do with the back three or the back four, I'm not, I'm not really sure. There just seemed to be a, a carelessness about the way we played, giving the ball away in dangerous areas. We invited the pressure. And of course, Chelsea had the ball in the net before they actually got the goal. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Uh, and to see that first 10 minutes, I thought it looked as though we started with a flat back four and they were following on from the Palace game with the same outfield 10 players. But after the goal, it looked as though he rather strangely withdrew Iwobi into the left wing back role, brought Monreal back in so that they had three again. And that kind of steadied the ship for a while. And of course, the fact that Monreal managed to get on the pinball machine and equalise so quickly didn't exactly encourage Chelsea to come out at us anymore. So we steadied the ship in the first half. Second half, I thought the change we made was much more sensible. El Nenny seemed to take up position uh, in between the two central defenders and Monreal reverted to the left wing back role. We pushed Iwobi up and I thought for large spells of that second half, we outplayed them. And that was helped because they looked as though they tired after about the hour mark. It looked like they had very little left in them. And then even when they went 2-1 down, uh, you kind of expected more from them. You Mm. expected us to be under siege, but we weren't. We were able to carry long periods of the second half still to them. It was a a fabulous watch that second half. Mm, James, I might ask you in a moment about Chelsea, just about the the, the way that they played, but it's interesting, isn't it, to see this this team, particularly in what I guess we have to say are the, the latter stages of the Arsene Wenger era, being a bit more tactically flexible, being able to deploy players in different positions during games and to shift the formation uh, from a flat back four to a back three, which really did have a big effect. Yeah, it was very positive to see um, after half time because, as Dave rightly said, we were, we were terrible first 10 minutes. It looked like we we're, were a team of strangers. And of course, unfortunately, we've already seen that uh, in a few games this season. Um, so, you know, after the, the half time break, um, you know, you, you could definitely see that the players were were motivated more, but also that kind of change of shape um, really played into our our hands and allowed um, us to play that quick passing football a bit higher up the, the field as well, which we know is um, is kind of a, a strength of ours. And um, you mentioned El Neno. I was particularly, particularly uh, impressed with El Neni last night. He's um, come under um, a bit of criticism from Arsenal fans probably in the last year or so, but because of his kind of safe nature of of play, I guess he doesn't move the ball as quicker as some of our other midfield players. He's he's very one paced, but um, I, I thought he was very impressive, kind of dropping back into the back three at times, allowing Koscielny or, or um, Mustafi to, to bomb forward. Um, Koscielny made a couple of lovely outside runs with um, Bellerin um, last night, which um, which was was good to see and kind of. Um, showed what a, what a dynamic um, way of, of, of playing we, you know we, we can do and playing in this way uh, you know Arsenal of old have always been quite dynamic much to the detriment of um, Arsenal of recent times you could say but um, last night in the second half it was it was really impressive and um, kind of followed on from from Palace but seems to be um, a, a, perhaps a new dynamic way of playing that um, we couldn't do before because of particular personnel who demand <laughs> the ball and come deep for the ball and perhaps get, get into the space where we want other players to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention any names, but I think uh, that's been a big factor and alluding to what Wenger was saying after the, the match uh, um, about being able to play with a bit more clarity um, I think that was all very clear to see or has been the last two games purely because of the uncertainty in the dressing room and, and the fact that a lot of players just didn't, didn't really get on with him. Mm. You know, 
truth in that. Well, yeah, there certainly is. I mean, we might come back to Alexis uh, in a few minutes' time. Um, and I think what your point about Koscielny was very interesting. It's very rare that you see a centre-half overlapping like that. And it wasn't just once. It was it was quite interesting to see that. But were you, James, a little bit surprised at how little Chelsea had to offer from an attacking point of view? I know they didn't have Fabregas and that ability he has to pick passes um, is something any team would miss, even if his legs are, are not quite what they used to be. They didn't have Morata um, to miss all the chances that Fabregas would have created for him. But, you know, from uh, Chelsea's point of view, they just didn't look threatening at all. I know you've got to give us some credit for the way that we played and the way we defended. I think Mustafi made 11 clearances. Monreal was brilliant, I thought, uh, on the front foot the whole time, aggressive, intercepting uh, and making life difficult for Chelsea. But they, they look like a team whose manager is absolutely fed up and they can sense the fact that he's fed up, that, that things perhaps might be about to go south for them. Yeah, I mean, if you think that there's a lot going on at Arsenal with um, perhaps uh, a change in, in policy with regards to transfers, I think there's a, there's a lot going on behind the scenes at Chelsea. But um, I think um, the, the injury to William obviously played into, to, play to our advantage because he's been in good form. Um, and you know, Barkley looked way off the pace and wasn't a threat at all. Um, uh, and yeah, just the lack of um, kind of a real focal point. I thought Chelsea didn't really have a focal point at all in their play. Um, so you know, second half it was it was really quite easy. It is, you know, I don't think as as Arsenal fans in particular, we're always uh, fearing the worst, especially with our um, propensity to, for, for conceding late goals. Mm. I um, mean, such comical circumstances as well. But last night was just seemed different. Like you know, it didn't really. Even when they got that that late corner and um, Caballero went up, it to, to to me it was one of those more calmer. I wouldn't say serene moments uh, at the end of a game when you when you expect to be hanging on but I don't think we were hanging on I thought we were pretty well in control mm, yeah I mean yeah you can sense it sometimes you, there are times you're watching a game and you think uh oh this is going to be ridiculous for the last 10-15 minutes they're going to blunder buses from all directions but they just didn't have that kind of option which which is great Dave um, it is what our fifth fourth final in four years five years whatever it is um obviously yeah, we've fourth been in five. fourth in five years which is you know pretty decent record and uh, you know i i think there's a tendency for some people to to downplay the the first two fa cups because we only beat aston villa in the final and we only beat Hull city in the other final and they, they tend to overlook the fact that on the way to those finals we beat spurs we beat uh, everton we beat man city we beat man united and we beat liverpool um and in the other final you know we beat chelsea so in order to win those trophies we've had to beat every other team in the top six along the way now, does it tell us something about the way that this team is uh, focused or its capabilities that perhaps as we become a little less competitive from a Premier League point of view, and we've got to assume that the players are aware of that because you know they can pick up a newspaper and look at the Premier League table, that perhaps it has made us a bit more of a, of a cup team? I think there's a couple of sides to this, Blogs. I think that um, particularly this season where we have used players less than we would have done seasons past. We've had two distinct teams for the Premier League and the Cup competitions. I think we've arrived at this stage of the season 
probably in better condition than the squad has been for some time. So I think we are, we're being set up now to play more of a pressing game in the big games and deny the big sides the opportunity to come at us as often or as quickly as they want to. I think the other side to it is it's been mentioned, I think, many times on Twitter in the last few days. We are capable of beating any team in that division. What we're not is we're consistent. So what we've become is a cup team because I don't think anyone's going to be too surprised if we go to Wembley and turn Manchester City over, particularly after we saw what Liverpool did to them the other week. I think the Arsenal at their best are playing that type of game. And they certainly did after the first first half yesterday. In the second half, I thought we pressured Chelsea so much that it, that it was beyond, the comeback was beyond them. Mm. Does it augur well then, st- sticking with you, does it augur well for the Europa League that our record as a team that's would... capable of raising its game, you know, for, for knockout competitions, for one-off matches where it's winner takes all or certainly winner takes all even over two legs, that this team has now built um, a foundation uh, and, and I presume that other teams will be aware of what Arsenal are like in cup competitions. I know we went out of the FA Cup this season to Nottingham Forest, and that's you know that's a different thing. I just mean that in terms of the record, in terms of what we can do in these games, you know, people will be looking at us and thinking, okay, I, we, I think I'd rather not. Uh, I, I would be very surprised now if we're not looking at the Europa League as our best route into the Champions League next season in much the same way that United did last year. So as long as these players remain in good nick, I would expect to see stronger and stronger teams playing in the knockout phase of the Europa League, uh, depending on the opposition that we draw. So I think you'll get a very mixed side playing against Ostersund in the first leg. And depending on how they perform, will determine the strength of team we put out for the second leg. But it's a very different kettle of fish if you were to draw, let's say, an Atletico Madrid in the next round. Mm. Then we'll be going at it with our full first team. And yes, I do believe we've got a blueprint from this win over Chelsea over two legs as to how we can do that. We can play very tight away from home. We have that capability and yet we still have the ability to make it a very a more much more open contest in the home game. So I'm hopeful. James, your thoughts on Europe? I mean, is the Europa League, I know there's some good teams in it. You know, uh, Dortmund are in it. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk about them in a few minutes' time in a different context, but Atletico Madrid, uh, Napoli, you know, some good, good teams in it. But, I mean, is it a realistic thing for Arsenal to target uh, as as a, a trophy this season? I think it has to be. Uh, um, you know, get, just finishing top four is going to be, you know, some ask, um, given our lack of consistency as you've discussed and um, I think quite an important factor might be um, obviously the stories around Olivier Giroud going to Dortmund kind of to uh, quicken up that, that deal for Aubameyang but I, I can't see that happening. I think I, I think there's stories leaked earlier that said that that won't happen and I think the reason will be because of Europa I mean that would leave Lacazette and Danny Welbeck as you you striking options for that that cup and I, I you know I'd be surprised if Arsenal um also got rid of Giroud um for that reason alone um 
so I think it's definitely our best our best route route there. Just because um, I, I totally agree with you, we we are a, we are a cup team. We've, we've turned into a cup team. You know, we've been very successful in cup competitions uh, over the last five years, and and you can just see by the way that the way that we play um, in certain games that, that that's exactly what we are on our day. We can beat anyone, but you know you can never predict when that day is going to be. And, and we've seen so many league games that. Where it's just been a bit of um, you know one that you kind of um, really expect to win, and, and we've made a complete hash of it, and it, it seems to to happen you know more often than not in the league. But when it comes to to cup games, um, you know you could say last night even that it, a lot of people were expecting to Chelsea, Chelsea to turn us over. Um, you know, certainly during last season's cup run, for example, no one gave us a hope in hell beating Man City in the semi final. Or beating the you know you know the the, the champions in, in the final. So um, yeah, I think the Europa League is is definitely our best route um, into the Champions League. And I'm all for us you know really taking it seriously now. As, as Dave said, I think um, he's right with the Ostland first leg. I think it won't be definitely won't be a full strength team. But um, I, I think if you know as, as soon as we get drawn against. Uh, Tougher opposition. Um, obviously, you've got to beat Ostelands and they're given the Nottingham Forest uh, calamity. Anything's <laughs> uh, possible with with Arsenal of late, as we know. But um, I, I think it's our best route for the Champions League. Um, we need to be back in the Champions League, uh, if only to to keep the likes of, of Mesut Özil, who's you know good noises are coming out of Arsenal now. But until he signs on that dotted line. If you were him, you'd be stupid not to keep your options open, wouldn't you? Because he, he wants to play in the Champions League. You know, he's a, he's a player fitting of the, you know, the, the best competitions in the world, and and so we absolutely need to be there in whichever way we can. Um, I think what I would say about the Champions League is that again, like much of our um, performances as a as a club, even not just a team, but over the last sort of ten years, it has become Groundhog Day a bit in the Champions League. We know that we're you know, never going to win it, win that competition. I, I think because of the league format, which lets us down, and, and we usually have a blip, and that's where the, the lack of consistency comes in. But even still, uh, as a as a club of our size and stature and ambition, we, we absolutely have to be in the Champions League. <laughs> 
Dave, we referenced him a little bit earlier on. Alexis Sanchez has moved on to Manchester United. And Arsenal, in return, have got Henrik Mkhitaryan in uh, as a replacement. Um, you know, my, my opinion on this deal changed quite a bit over the period of a week. I sort of got, I won't say I got over the idea of Alexis going to Manchester United, but uh, I became a little bit more pragmatic about it. I, there was a time where I would have taken £5.50 from Manchester City rather than sell him to uh, to United. But in reality, what we might have got financially from Manchester City would not have got us a player of Mkhitaryan's calibre in this transfer window or any other transfer window for that matter, even in the summer, unless you're going to buy somebody of real potential. And even then, you know, you're not you're not getting an established, experienced talent like Mkhitaryan. So how are you feeling about it now that all the drama has passed, the dog banner has gone and everything else is <laughs> is uh, is under water under the bridge at this stage? How are you feeling about the, the deal and how it went down and, and uh, whether it was a good deal or not from an Arsenal perspective? Yeah, I feel I was strangely calm while the whole thing was going on because there was an air of inevitability about him going somewhere and being Manchester United. Uh, if he's 29 years of age, his game is based around lung-bursting effort and has been for a number of years. And I think I tweeted something to the effect that actually I've enjoyed the fact that I've got to see him in the flesh in his peak years and I've loved watching him you can't deny he was one hell of a player and an exciting player to watch but like you say the deal itself it was inevitable he was going it didn't look like we would get anything for him at all at one point then all of a sudden Manchester United came in and there was this talk of the player that might move the other way and I thought it might be Martial in all honesty but I understand that was blocked by United mm. and then when it turned out to be Mkhitaryan I thought that actually serves us uh, on many levels A, it means we get an asset in exchange for Alexis who is tied to us for the next three and a half years B, we now have another lever in the negotiations you were just talking about, Meza Ozil. We have already got his replacement in place if he doesn't do the deal. So on all things considered, uh, yeah, I think it's good for us as supporters. I think it's good for the club. Uh, and and that's it, really. Mm. James, your thoughts on this one? Because obviously... If you had said it to people a couple of weeks ago, you're going to swap Sanchez for Mkhitaryan, you, know, you could understand why people would be um, sceptical about it because he did have a difficult time at Manchester United. And some people will say, OK, that's down to Jose Mourinho being, you know, history's greatest monster and uh, not having a great record with mercurial, talented players like uh, De Bruyne, like Salah, like Mkhitaryan to a certain extent, who perhaps isn't the kind of character that Mourinho uh, thrives with or likes. Um, but, you know, he's just turned 29. He's experienced his quality, lots of appearances, lots of ability, and I think probably has the intelligence uh, to turn what was a difficult experience at Manchester United in, into something more positive with Arsenal. Yeah, Mick Tyron just really didn't suit Mourinho, and he probably wasn't even um, Mourinho by to an extent because I think, um, obviously... Jose Mourinho does a lot of favours for um, the super agent um, Mino uh, um, and I think um, that it, that deal might might have fallen into that sort of category 
Um, obviously, Mkhitaryan, for him, if you're offered the chance to go to Manchester United on you know, an, an incredible package, you take it. But, uh, you know, it obviously just didn't work out in terms of um, him just not suiting the, the coaching style or, or, or tactical um, kind of game of, of Jose Mourinho. Whereas um, he's very much... Uh, your archetypal Wenger player, isn't he? Um, I think there was an argument a few seasons back that we had far too many of that type of player. But I think over the last couple of seasons, it's fair to say that when um, when Mesut Ozil isn't firing and when, when Ramsey's not, not in the team, um, we sometimes lack that creative edge or, or ability to for us to break a team down, um, you know, incisively and quickly. Um, a lot of our forward play has been stagnant. And I think um, I think Alexis Sanchez was a detriment to that because he was almost like the, you know, the, the, the best school team player in the playground who just, you know, come deep, pick up the ball, try and take on everyone and, and try and do that. And he's very... Um, very, uh, you know, fr- a frustrated figure on the pitch. Um, and I don't think, um, well, I've already already said that, and it's it's pretty common knowledge that a lot of the players just didn't really get on with him um, as a, you know, the few personality clashes there, um, one particularly with, with Aaron Ramsey, um, which <laughs> is a strange one, because you can imagine Aaron Ramsey not liking anyone, really. He's quite a placid character. Um, well, I mean, there was so, the whole Robin uh, Van Persie thing, wasn't there, with uh, with Aaron Ramsey? They had a, yeah, they had a little yeah. set to in the in the dressing room one day, which ended up with Van Persie flatting his arse. Um, but yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a, that is a, a, another one of those. Um, perhaps people might think it's it's a, a rumor, but um, you know, from I've heard that on a few accounts, and that is actually what happened. So maybe Aaron's the dark horse that, that uh, may may seem to be a plastic character, but um, yeah, don't fuck with Ramsey; he'll knock you out. <laughs> fuck with Rambo. Um, but yeah, I think um, while some, you know, I'm, I, I might sound like I'm trying to sugarcoat the whole Alexis deal with Mkhitaryan, on paper, United look like they've got the, the, the best end of that deal. Of course, of course they have. But then given the circumstances and the kind of shit situation, which um, by no one's fault other than Arsenal Football Club's, um, you know, found ourselves in, I think um, we, we kind of, came out of it making the best um, deal that we could. And I think he's a, a player who, who should go well under Wenger. Um, it'd be really interesting to see how he fits in. I think Iwobi is probably the obvious player who's going to miss out initially. Mm. Um, I think Mkhitaryan could could perhaps um, even pick up that kind of Pires-Rosicki role from the left-hand side of midfield, albeit probably from a three and come inside as, as Azul does and, and I think it's it's going to be a joy to watch um, that said uh, you know losing a player of uh, Alexis's calibre is, is a bit it's a big blow whichever way you look at it if you just have to look at his statistics okay this season he hasn't been as prolific and obviously he hasn't played as well and he's um, been a bit of a, a bit of a frustrating figure to watch um, and, and it definitely was time to move on for him and inevitable but um, you know, missing uh, or losing a player of that caliber, he's never going to, you know, you're never going to be able to, to find a direct replacement in this market. And mm. given all of the competitive teams that have just got the firepower beyond ours, but I think um, 
Yeah, as I said, I think I think we've we've made the best deal we can in the circumstances, and I'm actually really looking forward to Mkhitaryan um, playing an Arsenal shirt. I think mm-hmm. he, I think he should go well for us. Yeah, I mean it does uh, change the dynamic, James, in terms of how we will play, and there will be perhaps a little less individualism, but uh, it's exciting to think about, it, and also exciting to think about that he might hopefully. Uh, hook up with his former Dortmund teammate Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, with whom we've been trying to do a deal uh, with Dortmund now for most of the week Um, how do you view what's going on there because we saw the pictures we saw Ivan Gazidis we saw Sven Mislintat and we saw Husfami who's the new contract guru in Dortmund ready to do a deal with uh, with the German club to bring in Aubameyang they're obviously there for a very good reason they're not just there to hang out and, and have a good time um it's one of those situations where perhaps you expect things to go a little more quickly than they have. And we've had rumors of one bid being rejected, then another bid being rejected. Dortmund getting a little bit angry about it. Arsenal via Arsene Wenger saying, well, you know, we've got other irons in the fire. If he doesn't come, it's all okay. The, the, yeah. There's a lot of posturing going on here, isn't there? And, and perhaps it's a deal that's a bit more complicated than people think. Yeah, I think I think transfer deals, especially at the, the higher end, are, are incredibly um, complicated. But I think it's also fair to say that, that we Arsenal Football Club do make a meal of it sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> we don't really help ourselves, do we? And, no. and even with um, you know, kind of new people I- involved, um, uh, hopefully we would think that that those sort of deals would be made quicker. But it's 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 same old Arsenal again. It's definitely penny pinching, which is holding it up and. You know, Dortmund are, are probably getting pissed off with it. To mm. be fair, it's a, it's a deal that I would expect still to go through. Um, but yeah, we do we do tend to make a meal of it. Also, we're not the most covert, are we? I mean, Gazidis uh, um, tends to get get papped quite easily. Um, yeah. <laughs> perhaps we could think about a disguise for him or something that to to go under the radar a bit more, but. Um, no, I think from what I've heard, it's, it's, it is um, Arsenal being Arsenal and penny pinching a bit. But as I say, I do expect um, the deal to go through because the, I think the club are at the end of their tether with the player and they realise that this opportunity is going to be the best opportunity from a financial point of view to get the best fee for him. Mm. It's quite clear that he wants he wants Arsenal and, and I actually think he'd be, he'd be a really good fit in terms of players that you, you could go out and... Um, and by that, that have been prolific over you know the, the last kind of three or four years. Um, okay, albeit in the Bundesliga, which many would say is, is not as strong as, as the Premier League in terms of um, you know it, it's perhaps a little bit easy to score goals. But I think um, you know anyone who's, who's seen him play for Dortmund over the last couple of years can see that he really has kind of turned from that raw talent he mm. was at Saint Etienne into um, you know into into you know one of Europe's not. Perhaps, perhaps knocking knocking on the top table of the best um, centre forwards out there. So, um, yeah, it's it's really frustrating, isn't it? I mean, just get the deal done. I yeah. mean, we've highlighted that he's our player. Um, you know, Wenger is trotting out the usual line that they've got plenty of irons in the fire. I mean, from what I hear, that's not the case with with a striker. I think it's pretty much Obama Young or Obama Yang or bust really. Mm. Um, so, different on the centre-back side. Arsenal were obviously very much in for Johnny Evans, but again, they're um, trying to drive the price down, I think, by um, waiting for City to sign Laporte from 
um, um, to, to get him in. And then, um, obviously, Arsenal will be you know the bigger team left in the frame. And I think that will play into Arsenal's hands. But, um, yeah, it's not that these big deals aren't easy. But, uh, as I say, I, I really don't think we help ourselves as a club. I'm just hoping that with the, the new um, guys in behind the scene, that, that that could get a bit easier. Yeah. But with the Aubameyang, that's certainly not the case. Uh, yeah, Laporte is coming from Athletic Bilbao, just to fill that's that little gap in for you there. <laughs> um, D- Dave, I think something that strikes me about this deal, uh, or about our pursuit of Aubameyang, is that... Perhaps it was um, accidental that the pictures emerged of Gazidis and Mislintat and Hosfami in in Germany. Perhaps. Really? Perhaps. <laughs> the other way to look at it is that it's a very public, not necessarily a declaration, but it's a sign from this particular man, Gazidis, that the these are this is the future, right? This is the way that Arsenal are going to do business in the future. It's not Arsene Wenger doing the transfer deal. It is I, Ivan Gazidis, chief executive. It is my new head of recruitment, exactly Sven Mislintat, and it is my new contract yeah. bloke, and we are here to sign Ob- Obama Yang and you know, look mightily upon our works, look what we shall do for this football club. If they come back without him, they're gonna look like fucking idiots. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was going to say. The fact that I think very they made it very public. I think they wanted to be seen and photographed by Obangyang's car. I think that, like you, having gone out there with all guns blazing, making this public statement, they do have to do, get the deal done. Otherwise, they will come back to a whole amount of abuse that you can't imagine uh, or probably you can I, imagine. I can imagine, what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll invent some but, stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But I'm um, reading between the lines and I obviously don't know the first thing about what's going on out there but if you read between the lines it looks as though it, the hold-up is twofold. One is we're trying to get the player for less cash than Dortmund want to sell him for. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is Dortmund want Giroud as part of the deal. And for whatever reason, whether it is Giroud's wife who doesn't want him to go there, or whether it is that Arsenal want to keep him for the second half of the season, whatever it is, Giroud seems to be coming off the table. So I think they've got themselves up a blind alley. And if we don't, the only way we're going to get him now, I think, is if they paid a full 70 million that they're being asked for. Now, I don't know that they haven't offered that and they've been played with on the Giroud front, but there's certainly a couple of things going on there that are making it far more awkward than it should be for them. Mm. I suppose, you know, we don't, uh, Dave, we don't have a game this weekend, so there's a little bit more wiggle room in terms of in terms of time to get this done before the transfer window closes on Tuesday night, Wednesday night it Wednesday closes. Night, yeah. yeah, so it closes and also Wednesday he's night. got an appointment in court on Monday in Germany. So um, I don't think we're going to have him in time for Swansea anyway, because that looks like it's going to be. He has to be there into the uh, inquiry on the explosion on the team bus. All right, okay. So another complicating factor. Just what we need when it comes to Arsenal doing a <laughs> exactly doing that. a transfer deal. Um, <laughs> Um, Don't I mean, loan him up. <laughs> damn, we need we needed that guy. Um, I mean, James, if you had to put some money on it, would you say this is one that's going to happen or not? I think it will happen. Yeah, 
Dave, yeah. what do you reckon? In a word, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I can't, I just can't imagine that they've gone there and been that public about it, you know, to come back. The only thing is if we, if we start getting stories leaked to certain sections of the press, which tell us that all of a sudden they've discovered Obama Yang is, you know, he's a man of low character and morals, uh, you know, and they try and spin it that he's looking for way more money than you know, is reasonable, then I think, you know, they could be making, uh, covering up their tracks uh, to a certain extent. So apparently, uh, personal uh, agreements has been made on on his personal terms. So I don't Ah. think it's definitely not the player um, holding it up. Um, It will definitely be to to do the financials. Um, And one thing to note is that if this does fall through, um, one one man who can't be blamed for dithering is uh, is Arsene Wenger because he's nothing to do with with these negotiations anymore. He's out of the picture. So um, it will be interesting to see um, kind of how under fire um, Gazidis will will be if he comes back empty-handed on this one. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, he's 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 taken the responsibility of it. And he's showing us that this is the way that things are going to operate. You know, this is the future of recruitment at Arsenal, chief executive, head of recruitment. This is why I feel like, you know, for the sake of his own reputation, which is already a little bit battered, uh, if you ask me, because of, you know, the the various stories that have come out about his personal um, affiliation or his personal desire in terms of the manager and a new contract, but then comes out and very publicly does all the PR for him. Uh, you know, he... he he will find it very hard to recover from it. I think if he doesn't get this deal done, oh, I totally agree. Yeah, it'll be um, could be a watershed moment if they uh, if, if they come back empty-handed, which is kind of more the reason why I think the, the deal will get done. Mm. And I don't think um, you know he, he could he could go through that situation as as Dave said. You know, it, it did look like um, you know they were. They were quite happy to, to be photographed um you know at, at, at Dortmund and in front of the players um car which stuck out like a sore thumb and was on the players Instagram account yeah. <laughs> so um yeah it'll be interesting how it plays out all right well look we'll wait and see what happens there and hopefully uh, we'll get some good news on that over the the next day or two uh, gentlemen thank you very much indeed for being uh, for being with me this evening Dave I'll let you get back to your chrome car um <laughs> It's burned tonight. I'm getting back to my whiskey. All right. Well, that's just as good. Uh, you enjoy that. Thanks as ever. Thank you very much, Blogs. And James, Bye, James, thanks a million. Cheers, Blogs. Take care. Thank you very much indeed to both of those gentlemen. You can find them on Twitter. Gunnarholic is at the Gunnarholic, at the Gunnarholic. And of course, he's blogging away still at Gunnarholic.com. So add that to your reading list. James is at North Bank Lower. That is at North Bank Lower. Now, there's not a lot else to talk about tonight because it's FA Cup weekend and we are not in the FA Cup having been beaten a few weeks ago by Nottingham Forest. So we have a rest weekend. We've got some days off, some time for the players to rest their legs and get ready for a Premier League game against Swansea next Tuesday. What will happen before then in terms of transfers? I don't know. Transfer deadline day is Wednesday. Will there be any more comings? Will there be any more goings? Will there be loan moves for young players? We'll have to wait and see what transpires between now and then. I'm not also sure, I'm also not sure, I should say, 
I'm not also sure. I'm also not sure if uh, we'll have a podcast on Monday because, well, we're not playing until Tuesday. And James is back on Monday, but not till Monday evening. And there's no point doing a podcast on Tuesday morning because, well, there's a game on Tuesday evening. So I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. Maybe some stuff will happen over the weekend that will be worthy of discussion on Monday. And I'll see if I can find somebody to have that discussion with me. But if nothing significant happens between now and Monday, we may be waiting until Wednesday for another podcast. Sorry, out of my hands, folks. What am I supposed to do? Talk about games in the future as if I know what's going to happen? I don't. If I did, I would tell you, because we could all just put money on and clean out the bookmakers. We'd just bankrupt them all and be rich. As rich as Croesus, all of us. And we could just retire to our hammocks and mid-afternoon cocktails. Wouldn't that be a thing? But uh, look, we'll try and work something out. Thank you as ever for listening. We will be back whenever we're back. As I said, not sure when that's going to be. But in the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's keep fingers crossed that by the next time we talk, we've managed finally somehow by paying what it requires to get a deal done, the deal done for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That would be nice. Come on, Ivan and your transfer dream team. Stop being twats and pay them the money they want and get us the player. Until the next one, have a great weekend. Cheers. Bye-bye. Peter, how can I help? Hello, this is John from Arsenal. I'm working late tonight, so I'd like to order 12-inch pepperoni, please, with a Coke and chocolate chip Ben and Jerry's, please. That's for delivery board, yeah? Yes, please. Right, be about 25 minutes and it'll be 22.99. Well, I'll give you 12.99. Sorry, you mustn't have heard me there. It's 22.99. And I said I'd give you twelve ninety nine. Well, you know, you can say what you want, but the price is twenty two ninety nine. Now you drive a hard bargain, all right. Well, fair enough. Thirty ninety nine. Um are you uh do you mind me asking, are you fucking stupid or what? The price is twenty two ninety nine. And in the age old art of negotiation I'm offering you thirteen ninety nine. Listen, buddy, um, are you hungry?
I'm starving. I've been working all day. So you really need the food, you know? You need me to make the pizza, deliver the pizza and the coke and the ice cream and all that. That's what you want. Well, well absolutely. Well, then, in order for that to happen, you pay me $22.99 and I will deliver the pizza and the rest of it straight to your door. Your hunger issues will be completely sorted. You'll have your food, I'll have my money, and we'll both be happy. Do you understand? Yeah, well, yes, I suppose I do. Right, yeah, yeah, fair enough, I, I understand. Right then, we got it sorted. What's the address? Hello? Where am we supposed to deliver this? Fourteen ninety nine. Uh, stick it up your hole, you stupid conjure. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.